Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. Today, I have, I mean, okay, listen, this woman, I don't know, if she's 5'3", that would, I, I don't even know. She's just this little, tiny, unassuming, amazing woman that I met recently and the things that I learned about what she's accomplished in the business world is just absolutely unbelievable, mind-boggling, in fact. And I cannot wait for you guys to hear her story. So do me a favor. Whatever it is you're doing, please share this out with everybody you know. Share this live stream out so we can get a bunch of people on here and learn how to scale your business or help somebody else scale theirs and just learn how to be an overall badass like this woman is just she's just amazing so i have julie roy joining us here in just a second stay with us share this out And we're back. Let me bring Julie on. Julie, welcome to the show. Hello, Ken. So excited to be here. And thank you for making me 5'3 today. <laughs> I'm 5'1, but I'll take it. 5'1. Oh, whoops. Well, hey, I don't know. I just was like, oh my God, you're just like this, this tiny little bundle of joy and so unassuming. And then I heard about some of the things you've accomplished. I'm like, Oh my gosh, like it's just like it's mind boggling. So I'm excited to have you on today. I see my good friend Jamie Green is on here. Oh, hi, Jamie. She's my friend too. Oh, I love Jamie. She's one of yeah. my I love her. She was just here in Dallas recently and I picked her up. And anyway, so um, so so Julie, uh, you know, um, I don't want to get into everything yet. But I do want to talk about, um, start with, I guess, where you were born and raised. So I was born and raised in Windsor, Ontario, Canada, um, okay. which is a small city, basically just across the creek, we call it, from Detroit, Michigan. So uh, I always have had sort of an American influence, honestly, on our up bringing, you know, coming from that border city. And so did a lot of uh, partying and socializing in Detroit in my younger years. And so, um, yeah, that's where I was born and raised to um, immigrant parents. Um, I'm Italian. So both sides, my dad's from Rome. My mom is from Friuli, which is Northern Italian. So wow. both of them, yeah, both of them came when they were um, youngsters. Uh, their parents were sort of first, uh, they were first generation, I guess, Canadian, or maybe I was, I guess I was the one born in Canada, but they, they moved over um, for work opportunities after the war. And so came through Ellis Island, through Detroit, and then ended up in Windsor, Ontario, Canada. So yeah, so a little bit of history there on our family. Wow. I had dinner like th there's a restaurant right on the Crick um, there in Detroit. It's a really upscale, nice like steakhouse. I forget, 
but I've never been to Canada. That's the closest I've ever. You could look out the windows of this restaurant and see Canada. Yeah. Was it in the Renaissance building by any chance? Do you know? I don't remember. It might have been. I don't remember. Yeah, that's kind of like the fancy Detroit restaurant. And you can see Canada, like the skyline from the yep. windows. Yeah. yeah. We, you should have just came over, Ken. It's a little 15-minute <laughs> jaunt. So, I yeah. I know. So yeah. Joe Ingram is wondering why yeah. I don't. Because it is a rule that you don't put up a tree until after Thanksgiving. However, <laughs> you, Julie has a really good excuse for this. So tell them, tell them your reasoning. So we do a lot of traveling in the next six to eight weeks. And so I want to enjoy the tree at least for a little bit. But also I told Ken, I'm Canadian in heart. So we had our Thanksgiving in October. And so right. we're not home for this Thanksgiving. So I feel like it's opportune time now to put this. I put all my, I did three trees, three levels, decorations all this weekend with my poor husband, if he's around. Uh, he was uh, my, all the mantles. I don't know if you could see some stuff back oh my here. Gosh. Yeah. So wow. I'm a little bit of a Christmas freak. I love all things cedar and smelling. I in the love house. that. Is yeah. it a is it a real tree? So the tree's not real, but the mantles and all that are all cedar. Yeah. So it wow. smells nice in here. Yeah, I feel wow. bad for the real trees because I generally kill them. So I try not to I, <laughs> I try not to have real trees. Mm -hmm. I know. So I and my wife loves having a real tree, and I'm like, that's murder. And needles are an issue for OCD me. So like oh. the the garland is already like it's on the stairs and you know, so it's, it's a thing, but I love the smell and the feel. Yeah. I, 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 I hear you. I hear you. So, so, so huh? I said, sorry, Ingram in advance for the Christmas decor. So. Yeah. Look, he says COVID caused us to find a reason to rush every holiday. <laughs> Jeez. So, so talk about what it was like for you. Um, growing up in Canada, eh? Hey, <laughs> see what I did there? Eh? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so if I continually say sorry, that's another reason. Um, uh, uh, Canada was incredible. Honestly, it was. It's a very encompassing, inclusive, warm, friendly, loving community and country. Um, it's very non-competitive. Uh, there's some very, there's some clear differentiation of. Yeah between living in Canada and moving over here that we've um, become accustomed to or noticed, I guess, in the change. Um, yeah, it was amazing. You know, um, our first meal was not Tim Hortons. However, it was probably my second. <laughs> I mean, I'm from Ohio. We grew up with Tim Hortons. Like, yeah. you know, so we Cal do he's in California. They don't even know. Uh, they don't know. No, they like Dutch bros and in and out and uh, right. Right. <laughs> But no, right. um, yeah, no, it was amazing. And, you know, we yeah. had a lot of family. My grandparents had numerous siblings. So we always grew up with a ton of cousins around and Italians are very family oriented. So a lot of big family meals, uh, talk about holidays. Everything was a holiday every weekend, you know, yeah. um, Nona's house, who's my grandma, 94, still lives in Canada, cooking pizzas for 19 people at a time. You know, my mom, my dad, everybody's in Canada, my brother, Bo's family. So um, very lucky to have, uh, you know, an extended large family um, and a lot of support and just traditions how, that we, we grew up around. How many siblings? 
like a lot. Like Bo's dad has, I think, 14. My no, brother, you. How many do you have? And I have one, a brother. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's all our like extended. Like we but have you a guys have huge, your parents had you. Oh my gosh. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so just with a lot of folks around us all the time. When you were, um, I, what's interesting, I watched an interview with Grant Cardone. He interviewed Tommy Mello um, recently, and Tommy was on on this show a couple of years ago. And I was, I watched this last night. It was unbelievable, like absolutely unbelievable. And I just saw so many things that I could relate to from an entrepreneurial place, yes. right? Yeah. So I'm always curious, like where, when you were growing up, was there anything um, that you can think of that, that was an indicator like, uh oh, this girl's going to be, uh, she's going to be an entrepreneur. Was there anything that made you stand out like that? Um, I don't know if when I was really young, I think I stood out more of, as a teacher. I would like walk around with like my papers teaching all the stuffed animals. Oh, and, okay. In the yeah. house. But I will tell you that my parents, um, way in my early years owned a hardware store. And I was always at the till, welcoming customers, pretending I was doing the accounting upstairs in the office. So I feel like we were raised in a very entrepreneurial environment. And so having mm. had that, I feel like, you know, it's definitely in our bones. Yeah. 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 So did you find yourself like in your teens? Were you working? Did you start any small little ventures on your own well i started a babysitting like i babysat very early like at 12 and i babysat mm. everyone in the neighborhood like anybody that had a bowling standing bowling night i babysat for and then they started like referring me out and so i created this little mlm of babysitting in our neighborhood and i was kind of the go-to babysitter so i feel like that was my very first business right where i was yep. like okay i can work more there's no ceiling it depends on what i do right so that mentality i think yeah. Um, and also, I always felt like I was never going to be great at working for somebody um, that was kind of always in my bones. Like I was I was a good employee, but I was always thinking about we could do this better. We could do this faster. We could do this more efficiently. Why don't we do it this way? And so actually, my first real big business venture started from working for someone that I ended up really building their business for them and then decided I can do this on my own. And so that was the Montessori preschools. Um, and so I was working for a woman named Michelle in a before and after school Montessori program while I was in college. Right. In university. And I was like growing her program. I was enrolling all these kids. I was super passionate about the program. And we had to expand into other like classrooms in the high school that we were in. And I was like, I can do this. <laughs> like, I love this. And the parents are connecting with me and I'm doing all this stuff like for someone else. And I'll, although I love Michelle and the opportunity and the learning adventure she gave me, um, I just, I was like, I can do this. Right. And so that's what kind of spurred me into my own first entrepreneurial adventure, which was, you know, we can talk about that in a minute, but yeah. Um, yeah. So I feel like I was always in my mind. I knew that I wanted to do something really didn't know what that was going to be until later, but yeah, I, I think that I'm, I'm an entrepreneur at heart for sure. Mm -hmm. So you, you did go to college. 
I did. Well, in Canada, they call it university. Yes, I was um, going to say university, but then I'm like, I don't know. And then wait till I start saying, you know, pop and all the other things. But um, hey, I say pop. Okay. Yes, because yeah. you're from there, you know. But pretty much, everyone's like, "Oh, are you from Minnesota?" I'm like, "No, I'm Canadian." <laughs> like, so, yeah. No. So, um. Yeah. So I think there's. Um. I did go to college. I did not do anything related to college initially. I was in law school. Oh wow. So, yeah, hated it. But you know, I came from immigrant parents, and so you had to be a lawyer or a doctor, or you know that that was kind of the pathway that you were going to have the least resistance with the most money is kind of what they're, you know, they came from hard times, right? So they wanted their kids to do better than them. I think that was always the philosophy in our family. And so dropped out. That was fun. Uh, You know, how, how did that go? Was there any judgment? (laughs) Yes. And also because I think the big thing, Ken, is that you know, you, you spend a lot of money to go to college, right? So you have to get the money to pay for that. And so I had loans, yeah. you know, all the things. So it didn't go over well, but it ended mm-hmm. up going over well later. <laughs> but, but at the time, not, you know, and funny now, our whole idea of college is so different in our family. Um, you know, it? yeah, now uh, I'm like, you don't need college. Like, you know, if you want to be entrepreneurial, go ahead do your thing. I did graduate Jamie from college. She said college dropout here. And I don't, it's not what I did or what I used, but, um, and I'm not against it fully. If you're going to sit around and do nothing, I feel like then sit around and take some business classes at least. Right. Yeah. So my older son is in um, Warren Buffett business program at UNL. My younger son, well, younger. (laughs) So my two oldest are both in college. Um, My two littles are in middle school, but my second one's in pre-med. And like, and that's his passion. He wants to be a doctor. Well, or he thinks right now, but you know, they talk about owning real estate. They're 18 and 19. They're looking for properties. Um, Even the doctor's son is like, I'm going to own the building. I'm going to rent to other doctors. I'm going to own the lab. Like the mentality I think that we're providing is look, there, you can think big or bigger. You don't have to think in this little box of I'm just going to serve people and be a doctor. That's great if you do that. But doctors should be thinking about passive income and an eventual uh, way out of the grind. And so if you want to do a couple days as a doctor and the rest of the days as a real estate investor, that would be awesome. You know, so you say all of that and, and that all sounds, sounds, those are nice sound bites. Um, but at the end of the day, you weren't thinking that when you when you graduated from no, college. No, but I, I wasn't, Ken, but I also didn't have the environment to be thinking that, right? I mean, right. our didn't know that. What you don't know, you don't know. Now right. that we have the ability, the opportunity, the spaces, the rooms, the proximity, I'm like, guys, yeah. like, we know better, let's do better, right? Why are we working yeah. the grind? Why are we doing all this when here's what we could be doing. Right. And I yep. think I wrote a book. Um, it's coming out soon. Well, I can't really get into too much of it, but I just wrote a book on real estate investing that I put out just to help people learn about real estate investing. But why I'm bringing this up is that I feel like what you don't know, you don't know. And if you know right. better, like I said, we can do better. And so helping them learn this stuff early is a game changer, Ken. Um, yeah. I didn't learn this until my 40s and, you know, I'll be 50 next month. So, I mean, there's a lot here that like compressing yeah. the timelines, right? For the yeah. this generation that we, like our kids, right? Creating a legacy without a 
purpose or a reason that the legacy understands the legacy, what's the point? Like if you create a legacy and they don't know what to do with it, what is the point of having a legacy? Right. And so, yeah, I feel like if we're not teaching our kids this stuff, if we're not being intentional and strategic about our journey and also helping them be intentional and strategic about theirs, we're not, we're not fulfilling anyone's purpose here. Right. And so, Um, the other point I was going to say is that when we were younger, we came with financial trauma. All of us do. We come with this idea of saving, 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 right? Of, of, okay, don't spend any money for that rainy day because we came from folks who were in the war. My grandpa was a, you know, a prisoner of war. He walked from Italy to Germany, barely made it home alive. Like we're talking a very different mindset here, right? Scarcity always thinking scarce, like we're not going to have enough for the next day. Right. So changing that scarcity to abundance, that mindset shift is integral and imperative actually for, for growth, you know? Um, the, to, yeah. Uh, my question. So, and it sounds like you had a wonderful childhood. It sounds like you had loving, caring parents and all that, right? Yeah. yeah. So- yeah, I, I did. Yeah. My dad left us when we were really young. And so there, oh, that, okay. that definitely had some impact on me as a, as a child. My okay. mom was a single mom working two, three jobs wow. at a time. So a wow. lot of responsibility on me to take care of my brother, to come home. I was a latchkey kid, right? Um, my mom was very proud and she wanted to make sure we had everything we needed for the basics, right? Food and housing right. and so she worked a lot. Um, the divorce was challenging for her, honestly. Um, yeah. You know, as a mom, Italian, the stigma around it at the time. Um, there's a lot of things that came with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like adversity breeds abundance. And we've talked about that. And yeah. I feel like why I'm here today, all those things happen for a reason. And so yeah. I'm not bitter. I'm not angry about Anything that happened in my past, I'm grateful, I'm thankful, I'm appreciative every day that I'm in the position I'm in. And I truly believe that the adversity created the abundance we currently have and the generosity. I've always, always given. My mom is super generous too. And we've given, given, given. And I really, truly believe that karma has given back tenfold all the things we went through and all the the hardships, the adversity, the anything we, when we, we didn't even have enough to give and we gave. Right. So I feel like that is all coming back 1 million times over. And I believe that I do. Do you feel like, cause, and I can relate to everything you just said and including the, the divorce and the father leaving at a young, I can totally relate to all of that. And I, I've, you know, I've always tried to create an environment for my children that they believe anything is possible. Anything. Mm-hmm. Yep. In fact, in that interview I was talking about with Grant and Tommy Mello, um, you know, Grant, Grant, you know, Grant and, and yeah, he's, I'm, his, I'm his mentee. I know. Right. And like me too, me too. And, and so, you know, I think that he's really good at, at, at picking like he's, mm-hmm. you know, and he's picking at Tommy yeah. saying, you know, it sounded like he was trying to get Tommy to say, yeah, college is worthless. And, yeah. and, and mm-hmm. I think that unless you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer, mm-hmm. right. Or right. something that requires, right. Yeah. Like engineering or yeah. Like, yeah. let's call it the three, what do they say? The three highest paying W2 jobs 
our yeah. lawyer, doctor, or engineer, right? So if you're going yeah. to learn a skill that you yeah. require college background for, I 100% agree you need to do it. I mean, there's not yeah. another option. Yeah. You can't be a doctor by practicing, right? No, I mean, no. you have to learn all the ropes and it's it's a process and it's a journey and it's an educational commitment. But AI, you know, I think AI is going to take place of a lot of that though. A hundred percent. It's yes. going to hurt. But, but you know, I, I think that, uh, again, for me, knocking on doors at a young age and selling and learning how to communicate effectively is probably, the you know, it's why I see all the, I, I know a lot of people that are, that are in the, that are Mormons and, mm -hmm. you know, LDS that they go out and do this two year mission right out of high school. And I'm like, can you imagine how hard it is doing that? You want to talk about some serious training. So, you know, I, I like the fact that you've, you've created this environment for your children to, to believe anything is possible. Yeah. And, and to that fact, Ken, I want to also share, like, not only do we say, you know what, the sky's the limit, guys, really, you control that ceiling, right? You control yeah. your future. And we've put that in them since babies. The issue is, then they really believe that. <laughs> so now <they're laughs> right. go out there and be an entrepreneur and be, you know, do this and do that, which is awesome. Um, yeah. But it is a little challenging to parent. I will, I will agree that, you know, creating that path for them is awesome. But then parenting them through that is a little bit of a challenge. Um, yeah. But I will tell you also with the fact that you're saying, you know, everything is possible. We also encourage what we call lessons, which are technically failures, but we don't call them failures in our house. We call them lessons because unless the lesson is that you quit, then it's a failure. Right. Unless you're not, if you're not quitting, it's a lesson. If you're quitting, then you failed, right? So our idea around this as parents has been to really be strategic and intentional also about our thoughts and how we think and what our thoughts turn into words, our words turn into our actions. We constantly talk about fueling your mind with abundance and good positive mindset and great thinking because at the end of the day, entrepreneurship is really hard, really hard. Yeah. And so if you don't have the backbone, if you don't have the right mindset, you're going to go through some really shitty shit. Like that's yep. just, I mean, let's just put, let's that's just a put technical term actually. Yeah. Shitty shit. Shitty shit. <laughs> uh, if, if you're not prepared for the really shitty shit, that's when yeah. everything blows up around you. Right. I mean, COVID yeah. hit, I think we talked about this, you know, before, but COVID hit and I had $150,000 biweekly payroll and like 300 and some staff. Like I went in the basement, wow. locked myself in the basement for 24 hours and came up with a solution. I mean, that's the kind of mindset, unfortunately, as entrepreneurs, we have to be in. If you're yeah. in like a woe is me, this is all happening to me, not for me. Like it's about changing how we think about all the issues and concerns around us, really. I mean, it, you have to change the way you think about life. Um, yeah. And saying that too, I mean, we don't even think of life anymore in terms of return on investment. That's not even what we're thinking about anymore. We're, we're thinking about life or thinking about investment on return on life, right? Return on life to us means all the things, personally, professional, financial, all those decisions have to be considered when we're using either our time. So if we're yep. trading our time for anything, it's not anymore about what the return on investment is. It's how are we either building up people, adding value to others, creating generosity? How are we doing that personally, professionally, financially? And is it worth the time? 
being away from our kids, being, you know, in a situation where we are giving up our time because at the end of the day, the only thing that we don't have control of in life is our time. And that's not something mm. we can go back. And so in this next half of life, we're being really intentional about what we do with our time, how we spend our time, what we're feeding our mind with, who our friends are, what the circles around us are. Um, and we just, we, we lead with love and we lead with passion and we leave with, lead with intention and generosity. And at the end of the day, if you are, if you have integrity and you have the right frame of mind going into things, you'll just do better, you know, you'll, and you'll just be better as a human. I think, you know, I look at, I look at people, I'll, I'll use Tommy Mello as an example <clears throat> here. He's, a, he's going to do 200 million this year, um, doing garage doors. And, and I'm like, dude, what? And, and, and I, you know, I, but I look at this and he's 40 years old and mm -hmm. he's going to do $200 million this year. And I think, man, I wasn't doing that at 40 years old. What, where did I go wrong? And I, I think, honestly, I think that that, that is what happens to a lot of people who are entrepreneurs. We compare our, uh, we compare, sure. right. And we see somebody like Tommy or Bill Gates or, you know, whoever. And, and, and that's just, it's not always like for me, it's been 20, 30 years of just grinding it out. And, and, and making mistakes and trying again. Talk about that with you, because I know that you've been an entrepreneur for a, a lot of your adult life. Talk about that. Where, where did sure. we all? <laughs> yeah, I've been an entrepreneur for longer than I've been alive, I feel like. So, um, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. So, where to start? So, I started a school, a preschool in the basement of a church with a $25,000 loan from a guy named Malcolm Banks in the back alley. Um, who actually at the time brought us in. I actually brought my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, Bo. We went through this back alley in downtown Windsor. If you know anything about downtown, it's not like really where you want to hang out. And it was this burgundy door and I knocked on the door. I found the ad in the paper that said, if you need, you know, money, basically right. come and meet me. And I was like, oh, oh this is great. Money, I need to do this business. I just came home off a stint. Uh, I was in Europe um, playing soccer and studying for about four years. So I came home broke, of course, right? 20 some years old, broke with this big, huge dream. And so I was like, I'm going to start this school in the basement of my mom's house. <laughs> so, wow. You love that, by the way. So I did one summer. It was a camp and we lived. It was really funny because we lived in front of a park, which was great for recess. Right. We had recess, natural recess. And then All down right. the street, we had um, a cemetery. So lots of room for the kids to play. So oh I my Lord. In the school. Yeah. And all these parents, like they loved me and they trusted me with all their kids. And we had such a great time and everything worked out. But my mom was like, uh, yeah, so there's a ton of liability here. I don't think we should do this ongoing. Like, what's your plan? So anyways, needed money wow. to get out of the house. Right. And so took this loan from Malcolm at $25,000 at 19%. Little did I know, like, what did I know about loan sharks? Or, you know, if you don't pay loans back, I had no idea about anything. Right. Not suggesting you start your business this way. However, <laughs> adversity breeds abundance. So yes. um, did this, uh, had this loan. He actually sat us down and looked at my husband across the table and said, do you love this girl? And he was like, 
uh, yeah. <laughs> and he said, well, I hope so, because if she doesn't pay this loan back, like you're the collateral. So, yeah. So thank God for Bo, who's now my husband. Now we have four kids and been married 20 years in, in August. We've been and he dating. didn't have any fingers or hands cut off or anything. He is whole, but I, uh, I did make sure that first year we paid Malcolm back. So that was my yeah. goal. Like I'm going to wow. have 12 months. I performed it in the best way I knew how to perform anything. I didn't even know I was doing a performa. Um, wow. I was the teacher, the cook, the enrollment person. I ended up recruiting my amazing cousin, Dana, who is my youngest uh, girl cousin. She came in and helped me in the school and we moved, listen, Ken, I don't know, this is old school entrepreneurship. We moved the shelves and the entire classrooms in and out of the church every morning and every night so they could have brownies and karate. And so imagine imagine all the things. So when people say to me, oh, you know, she's so lucky, Uh, back it up, (laughs) nothing to do with luck, you know? So um, I'm really passionate about sharing the beginning story because a lot of folks, they can relate to this type of grind, right? I mean, like every morning, Bo at the time was learning, he was in his internship to become a child psych. And so he would come help me at the end of the day and we'd mop the floor quick so that the other activities could come in. And he'd sometimes come in the morning as well. and, And I was like, mind you, I had my babies, all this, right? Through all this process. So like, um, we, I grinded day and night for ever, um, had my first baby Xavier on Friday night, Saturday morning, went to the schools to do payroll with him before he even went home. So like, Oh my gosh. Well, like entrepreneurs are made of steel, like for, you know, for any sense of intensive purposes, like when you see a successful entrepreneur, all you should be thinking in your head is wow. Like, and congratulate them because if you're thinking at all that, you know, they were so lucky or that you have this jealousy for them, you have no idea what that entrepreneur has risked in their life. Much their entire savings, their family savings, everybody's savings around them to get to the point that they're at today. And their freedom and their sanity. Yeah. Like people are like, well, you know, don't take, don't trade your time you know, for money, you know, working for someone else. Listen, I worked double what I would have worked for anyone else in that 28 years. Yes, we had two amazing successful exits to private equity. We sold all of the real estate with it. We had an incredible multiple on sale. We did all the things, right? But it did not happen without all of the work, all the adversity, all the challenges, all the creative thinking, the solutions, the problem solving, which is, by the way, what I love, right? It's what fuels me as an entrepreneur. But it also is stressful and it's hard and it's tiring. And I was also raising, you know, a mom of four babies, you know, thankfully for family and my grandparents and my mom who actually ended up working at the schools, like, you know, um, thankful for the village that it took for us to get to where we're at because like gratitude again, right? For for all of that. Sometimes I think of it, it's an emotional journey, you know, um, it, it's a lot, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so many people do see, um, and I see McGenna is showing up as Facebook user. Yeah. McGenna, go over to my personal page and watch this from, from there. So your name will show up. Um, but the, the, um, you know, uh, people do see like you as, I mean, I'm, I, I heard a rumor of the numbers that you've done and, and they're huge. And, and, you know, if the rumor's true 
And, and so, you know, I, I, but people look at that and they go, Oh, look at how, how lucky she is. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the, the bottom line is, is you risked everything. You so, risk your health, you risk everything to build what you built. So like a couple examples of that. Yes, the numbers were really big. And at the end of the day, the numbers as an entrepreneur are your utopia, right? Are your hurrah, right? Yeah. But all the things that I traded to get there that no one talks about, like time with my kids when they were young, that was non-existent. I was not home. Like I was right. not mom. I was not the mom doing all the things, being at all the games. Thankfully, my husband was. He was awesome. And he's like, thank God, I'm telling you right now, God makes them and places them because, or pairs them, whatever he says, because I would not have been able to do any of what I do right now. He left his career. He became a doctor, left his practice to support this journey for our family. So like wow. he went to school for 16 years. Like he has sacrificed wow. his whole like life. Yeah, right. So um, the belief in the dream, right? It's yes. Hi, Magana. We can see you now. Um, <laughs> thank you for joining. Um, yeah, the belief in the dream has to be bigger than all the adversity, right? And so yeah. I, yeah, I remember my water breaking and my husband being like, we need to get to the hospital. And I'm like, dude, we have to wait. I have kids that need to be picked up. I have to finish the stuff in the school. And he's like, Julie, just let, we need to go. And I'm like, no worries. We got time, you know? Um, like, oh my God. People don't understand the the trade that you make for this lifestyle. It's a long journey. It's not something that happens overnight. If I can make any points on this today, yes, I've had incredible exits. Yes, I've had an incredible entrepreneurial journey. But yes, the, the belief has to be bigger, right? And we always yeah. talk about, this is honestly what I say to my kids. And I'm going to say to all of you on here today, your belief in your dream has to be bigger than the belief in the nightmare that you might go through. Mm, say it and again. <laughs> say it again. The belief in your dream has to be bigger than the nightmare that you're going to probably go through. So at the end of the day, I mean, this goes for everything, not just business, but in life in general, like your commitment, your strategic and intentional commitment to your dream has to be bigger than the nightmare that you possibly will go through to get there. And it's okay to go through the things that you need to go through, but know that your commitment can't waver. You have to wake up every day and be intentional. You have to have discipline. You have yeah. to be committed to the end game. If you're going to fall out continually through the process, it, you're not going to make it there. One in every three businesses fail. Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at the statistics, uh, the statistics of successful entrepreneurship are really low. Um, you need I, a, yeah. I, 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 you know, and that brings, brings, a, what you just said brings us to a, 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 a something I want to talk about with you. Um, because I've been in business for a very, very long time. I've been an entrepreneur my entire, I mean, all the way back to seven or eight years old, I, I started mowing lawns and shoveling snow. Um, but you know, I, I think that, a business fails when the the owner of that business gives up. One hundred percent. Because I can't like I, I, honestly, I have been I've been in business 
-hmm. overdrawn in my account. Like I, I've, I, all of it. I had a car repoed in front of my employees. I've had all the stuff happen. Right. And, and, and there's been many moments where I'm like, you know what? Screw this crap. I'm going to go sell windows or something. This is ridiculous, but I never yeah. gave up. Yeah. Talk and yeah, I mean, so again, right. Your commitment and your, your commitment has to be the dream and the end goal and what you can foresee as an entrepreneur, what you see, your vision of your business, your vision of your end goal has to be so great. I literally have it everywhere. I have it in my closet. I have it everywhere. Like this is where we're going and nothing, all the noise, all the people, all the shit around me, yep. it can't, it cannot impact me. I have to remain focused on our end game, focused on our family mission, vision, values. I don't know if you can see it. I'll try to turn it. You see that black plaque right there in the back? Yep. It has all of our family mission, vision, and values. When we walk oh through my the God, door, that's yeah, I wish I could show you it, but it's a commitment. We've made a commitment as a family. We're super strategic and intentional about everything we do. For example, we have a commitment to seeing all of the continents with our kiddos. In December this year, we will finish our seventh and final continent. We are strategic. People will say, well, you have the money to do that. No, we are intentional about the money that we make, the money that we spend, the investments that we make so that we can do these things. So yeah. everything is strategic. It's not um, it's not just a matter of throwing things up in the air and, and hoping that these balls all end in the right courts. There's a lot of mistakes along the way. You hopefully learn from them. You put yourself in situations and proximity and rooms where people are better than you. I'm continually yeah. striving to create relationships and put people around us that are at or above where we're at constantly. I mean, it, it sometimes feels um, challenging, you know, to be able to have the right groups and the right people around you. But but commitment to that larger goal um, has to be greater than all that adversity that we face. Like, for example, you were talking about like having a zero balance in your account. Yeah. So when no, started, negative, ne minus. And a minus. So when we started our schools in that basement of the church, my rent was $1,500, which for me was huge amounts of money back then. Like we're thinking 2001 here. Okay. <laughs> Let's back yeah. it up a little bit. So yeah. We, we had this rent due. I had my payment to Malcolm, which at the time was, I think, I think feel like $900 or something was the payment yeah. to him. Plus we had all of the payroll, all of the expenses for the food, all this stuff. By the way, I didn't have any business experience, zero. Right. So I'm trying to figure this all out at the time. Yep. Bo used to run to his job on his lunch on Friday afternoons, take that paycheck come and put it in the account, physically run, because we didn't have all this internet shit, physically run to my bank, cash his check in our bank so that our payroll would clear for those girls who were working for us. So like, don't think for a minute that this was easy. Don't think for a minute that I walk around like, you know, people are like, Julie, you're so humble. Like, you're so unassuming. I'm like, right, because guess what? That's where I came from. Like, I yeah. came from humble and unassuming and working my ass off to get here. Like yep. this, this was not handed to me. It was not old money. Nobody funded me. You know, I didn't have private equity or IPO or, you know, right. a family with a ton of money. No, in fact, we were probably, I was probably voted most likely to succeed the neighborhood I grew up in, the schools yeah. we grew up in. They were inner, 
inner city. So like I, I went to a high school that right now most folks wouldn't even walk to, you know, like we grew up in that neighborhood with lots of bad shit happening around us, you know? Um, but at wow. the time we were happy and we did as much as we could to, to focus on what our future was going to look like. Another thing that I would say, if you're a new entrepreneur, you know, stop focusing on the past or on the mistakes, quote unquote, lessons that you've made. Um, focus on your future. Always be looking forward. Um, we have a saying in our house, always be learning and always be looking forward. I feel like those are two rules to live by. If you are stuck in your past and woeing is mean and having yeah. everything around you be you know, you're a victim to all the circumstances around you, you will never make it not only in life, definitely not in entrepreneurship, you have to have thick skin, you have to be able to be um, future focused, right? You have to be yeah. looking always at what's the next steps, you have to be creative, you have to be um, just ahead of everything, right? And yeah. so if you're stuck in the past, that's where you're going to stay. Mm. Yeah. So powerful. So, so, so talk about the, um, you know, you, here, here you are, your husband running cashing checks to cover payroll. Um, and, and you're going at some point you in your business, you hit a different stride and, 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 I mean, you had to have, considering what ended up happening, you had to have hit a, a really good stride at some point. So talk about what where things went for you and how long were you in business before you were like, okay, I think, we, I think we're going to make it. So the first three years were the toughest three years of my life, um, still to this day. Right. I would say... Um, the first year being the absolute toughest. Um, the second year, I felt like there was a little relief because Malcolm was paid off. So that was also a super push for us. Right. And then the third year, like when I started to occasionally see us in the green in a few months here and there, that started feeling really great, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so once we kind of, um, and we actually moved out of the church at that time and we started um, a much larger school. And so, as you all know, too, as you scale, right, um, things become more manageable. Um, and so we had obviously more income, more children, you know, yes, there was more expenses as well, but we were able to um, to use the the ma the magnitude of the size of the of the schools and the the capacity I guess is what I'm saying to our advantage in terms of hiring the right people so then less work on me right all the things that come with scaling um, what I would say is I felt some relief in year three um, I felt really great in year five I mean year five we were like we were flying we were doing really well we were growing we were expanding we were reinvesting, which was huge for us, like putting our money back in the business, growing the businesses to other um, locations, adding integral people, right? Adding the people processes, all the things that we could finally do because we had a nice financial um, stability. So, so when at some point you, you ended up exiting, how, how yeah. long were you in business when you decided to exit? So the first time, first, I didn't decide. It was decided for me. So, oh, okay. Yeah, about that. Um, so yeah. the first 
exit was at the 10 year mark was 2011. So, I, well, I started in 2001 technically. So yeah. and a half years, we'll call it 10 years for the purpose of this. But yeah. um, so we had private equity that had been sort of like following us and offering, you know, continually sending letters of interest, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I'm not interested. I love this. I'm super passionate. I love these kids. I love my team. I love everything about what I'm doing. I am living yeah. life. Like I'm so happy. I don't care about the work. I truly just felt like I was living in my passion, you know, yeah, and I right. found something that I just, it, I just loved it. And, um, I remember this guy, John, uh, who was a broker, and he sent us a letter of interest. Um, and I was like, no. And he was super persistent. Like, you know, private equity really wants you. This is an opportunity of a lifetime, right? And I was like, I don't care. Like, I'm I'm living the opportunity of a lifetime. Like, right. I, I'm an entrepreneur, right? right. I and, used to move shelves out of the church every night. What are you talking oh, about? And um, by the way, I didn't tell you about this job I had. I worked at the cemetery uh, digging graves as a horticulturist for one summer. So this oh was like, I was living the dream here, right? So wow. living the dream as an entrepreneur, so excited and happy about the what we created, right? Yeah. We, it was just like, I just felt really great. Yeah. Then the next letter came with a number. Ken. I have never seen a number that had that many zeros in my entire life. First of all, I've never seen a number with a few zeros, never mind this many zeros. And so I was like, this cannot be real. Like, this is insane, right? Like, this is not real. So then he followed up with a phone call and, you know, hey, can we meet for coffee? I'm like, whatever, we can meet for coffee. That's not going to hurt anybody. But I really want to know this guy's shtick. Like, what's the deal, right? Yeah, right, right. And, he was like, yeah, so they're interested in buying you. They don't want the real estate. You can own the real estate, continue to have passive income. It's a, you know, a large company out of Australia. They're buying a bunch of centers, um, you know, corporately in Canada. You know, you you have exactly what they're looking for. EBITDA wise, quality wise, they're looking for Montessori preschools. So there was a certain, you know, subset wow. of requirements. I checked all the boxes according to him. And so I was like, but this number. And he's like, yeah, they're willing to pay you this times EBITDA basically. And I was like, I'm like, well, have them make me an offer. Right. And I went home to my husband and I was like, I'm not going to sell, but I want to see that. Like if, you know, if this is real, like this is crazy, but you know, let me just see, right. let me just see. So how many, how many locations did you have? at this? Um, so it was funny because we had three large locations and then I had also a couple locations that were, um, added to that we had a non-for-profit so probably like overall probably 10 that we had up and down back and forth and then ended up with three big super centers so like i had wow. uh, one was almost 300 kids like so they were like really large wow. centers and then the not-for-profits we ended up moving into for-profit there was a lot of process for that yeah. um but long story short uh, they made me an offer on paper and sometimes Ken, everything's for sale for a price. <laughs> so, I was right. like, I came home with the paper legit. I was like, I have to talk to you about something, Bo. And he was like, okay, what's going on? Like, I'm like, so we got an offer today on our schools. And then I told him the number. I thought the guy was going to faint. Like he was like, what? What are you talking about? And I was like, literally, like, this is the offer and it's signed. And so, like, it do you what do you want to do? And he was like, What do oh you want to do? And I was like, 
I don't know. I love this. Like, I love what we're doing. I, I don't know what I want to do. Right. And he's buy like, a Tim Hortons or something. Yeah, that's what he's that's what <laughs> like, we can buy 14 other schools. What it, you know, but it has to be your choice. He's trying to support me. Right. He's like, oh my okay, God. Let's, let's just talk this through, you know, it's like psych, psych that he is, you know, always with all the oh options. My God. You know, how do you really feel about this, Julie? And I'm like, oh, because uh, as an entrepreneur, it's those were my babies. Like I, I know, I get it. You know all the things, right? Anyhow, <laughs> needless to say, we ended up selling. We exited that lo- those locations in 2011, and I retired. I drove everyone nuts, literally everyone nuts. I didn't know what to do with myself. I didn't know how to do anything except be an entrepreneur and solve problems and create things every day. And so now I'm at home. I've never been a housewife, never been a, like, I've never been a mom at home. I had no idea. I lost my identity. I lost everything that I knew about myself. I was like, who am I? Who's this person making muffins all day and going to the gym? Like, what what am I doing? Did you start day drinking? Oh, so no, I don't, we we don't even drink. That's a whole other story, but we do nothing, no noise. So no drinking. Yeah, we're boring. But so I don't drink either, so. Yeah, we can talk about that in a minute and I'll tell you why. But um, my purpose was gone besides my purpose, which, okay, I had a mom purpose, but that was not my identity. Right. Right. And so I had a lot of reframing um, that year. It was actually I felt like I had gone through um, a huge stage of grief, to be honest. Um, I was so happy about the sale for my family's future, but I was devastated about the sale for my, for me, you know, for my future and my, my mind and all the things that I felt like I became right. Wow. So the grieving process was tough and no one talks about that either. Um, and how to get through that and what to do. And so anyways, I quickly picked my big girly pants up and I went and ran long-term homes. So long-term care centers for seniors, uh, can people die every night? Not a good idea. I was crying all the time. I was like, my husband's like, uh, no, this is not good for us. They would call in the middle of the night for death certificates. And I'd be oh like, my, God. This is my friend, my, you know, cause I love these people, right? I'm a, I'm right. a protector of people naturally. So like these right. people became my extended family. Right. So like oh my God. cry every time someone died and was like, this oh is God. not going to work. I'm sorry. Literally, I would go in on the weekends and feed them and stuff, like literally, right? So he's like, Julie, like you're sad all the time. I'm like, I know, it's just terrible. Anyways, long story short, I was starting to look for other childcare centers to buy. Oh my gosh. Back in, you know, at the time, Michigan was a bad place to be in. I mean, it's 2011, auto industry. It still is. Yes. Well, I I mean, there's some things happening in now at least, but- And same with Ohio, like all the surround where I could get to via a car naturally from Canada wasn't a good option for me to go reinvest in. I had a non-compete in Canada, so that wasn't going to happen. So long story short, I ended up, I had put my word out to a bunch of brokers I knew like, hey, find me something. It has to be this EBITDA, this much, because I'm going to be traveling. It needs to be my, at that time, I didn't know it was return on life, but it had to be return on life. Yeah. found these schools in Omaha, Nebraska. She was 84. She needed a legacy. I was like, 84, you need a legacy shit. Oh God, that's, that's me. So we had the same training. 
in Montessori, a lot of things lined up. Anyways, she chose me to be the buyer. She had nationals that were going to buy her, but she wanted somebody that could come in and, and just run the centers and, and, and really care about the kids and the quality. Long story short, grew the centers. Instead of 10 years, it took me three years to get to 10 centers. I bought all the real estate as well the second time. Ended up, same thing, 2011 or 2021. What's with the two ones? Um, right. Top of COVID, I get a letter from private equity again saying, hey, we're interested in buying you. I'm like, oh, hell no, not again. Like, we're not doing this again. <laughs> and I was like, I just got here. We just, Bo quit his practice, shut everything down in Canada. We moved all our kids here. It was a really rough move for them. I'm like, oh. and it was supposed to be a 10-year deal, right? We're going to be here. 10 years, then I'll be 65. Maybe I can try this retirement thing again, right? Right. So um, again, gave us an offer we couldn't refuse. So when I'm talking about karma, generosity, and giving, yeah. somebody is watching out for us, 100%. Like there's something going on here that's way bigger than us. Um, I don't know what that is. And I feel like there's a purpose behind it. And maybe he's or she, whatever, is trying to show me um, my path um, and the impact that I need to create for others. But got this op got this opportunity again. The check was way bigger in one third the amount of time because I did have mentorship. I had uh, the opportunity to be in rooms with bigger people, had made the mistakes the first 10 years, grown organically. We did by acquisitions, the second scaling grew much faster in all of the time that we um, did everything we did in 10 years, we did in less than three. And so wow. we sold May 28th after finishing our 10th location on May 1st. Um, oh my gosh. Yep, yeah. And, uh, so wow. what I did was I sold the businesses to private equity, which was apex at the time. And we sold all of the real estate to a REIT. So we coupled the sale to close on the same day in congruent, congruent with each other. And we took all of the money from the real estate and 1031 did in triple net properties. So we own a large portfolio of triple net. And people are like, what is that, Julie? It is like we own Starbucks, Taco Bells, dollar stores, big kinder cares. So large corporate child care centers. Now people are going to ask me, you own those things? I didn't know you could own a Starbucks. We don't own the businesses. We only own the real estate and the land. And so all wow. those businesses have leases with us for 15, 20 years, triple net, meaning they pay the taxes, they pay all of the insurance, we pay nothing. We just get a check in the bank every month now from these triple net corporations. Wow. Another great thing about triple net is that if they decide to close your location, so we just bought a Starbucks down the road here, um, right on 204th, it's like five minutes from my house. If you bought they, the real you bought the real estate. I bought the real estate and the land, right? Yeah, and yeah. they, uh, with that, the exchange is a 12-year triple net lease. So they pay us for 12 years rent. They've corporately guaranteed that. So if they decide to close, Ken, like maybe they say in a year, we don't like this location. We're going to move to another location. They still have to pay me for 10 years. Oh, my God. Corporate guarantee is. Yeah. So wow. we really created this portfolio and so then everybody was like, Julie, we want to do this with you, right? So before that, though, we got all this passive income, which was awesome. I was like, holy crow, because we kind of had that with the schools. We sale leased backed from ourselves, right? Yeah. But we yeah. kind of had this taste of it, but not at this level, right? And so right. then now we get paid every month from these 
triple net corporations. Um, we make a bunch of money passively every year. Problem is, I had a huge tax bill because guess what? Now I don't have all the operations and the business activities. And if you're entrepreneurial, you know, everything yeah. that can be a write-off should be a write-off. So yeah. then it was like, what are we going to do? Put myself in billionaire boardroom, put myself in all these groups that said, Julie, you don't have to pay tax on that. Just invest in multifamily. You'll eradicate yeah. all the tax from your passive income. Yeah. Learn all the trips and tips, whatever, tricks and tips on doing that. <laughs> So yeah. created what we have now, which is a um, triangular, we call it a trifecta of investments, yeah. triple net coming in for the passive income, multifamily eradicating the tax. So we live 100% passively, 100% tax free. And then we have some storage and institutional industrial with some really great folks that know what they're doing. We've partnered with them and to have a longer term IRR and some different capital exits, right? Because we don't want yeah. it all to happen at once. How did I get here? I learned from people that were here. I paid a ton of money in mentorships. Yeah. I follow all the people. I read like a mad woman every night. I'm committed to continual A, why I call it ABC, but it's always B learning. Um, I'm continually yeah. um, putting myself in rooms with people that know and are doing better. Um, Anyways, what happened was after that, we started to syndicate because people asked us, hey, Julie, I want to be part of this Starbucks deal. Like, I want to own a Starbucks. It's a yeah. super sexy asset. Let's face it, right? Like, I own a Starbucks. <laughs> right. Plus, I drink it. So I feel like I'm, you know, I'm I'm kind of um, supporting tenants while right. Also, having, right? also having a really bad addiction to Starbucks coffee. But anyway, so <laughs> I, what I did was... Um, I started to put syndications together so that if we wanted, if folks wanted to come in with us, they could buy. So we just did a Starbucks not too long ago, the one up, up the street here. Um, so folks came in, they bought a share. So they have ownership day one. We don't, we don't use any debt. So um, we own the actual real estate and land day one, which is nice. So there's no bank involvement in any of that. Um, and they get paid month one. They start to collect what we call passive income or cash flow. So it just is a really great opportunity for folks that would not have otherwise had the opportunity to own institutionalized um, or corporate triple net assets to be able to do so. Like how, how many people have $3 million to buy a Starbucks, but you might have a hundred thousand that you want to invest and be part of that ownership and make 570 bucks a month. Like yeah. it's a nice way to start building longer legacy wealth and a way yeah. for you to create you know, wealth that can be generational, right? And so assets appreciate, even if Starbucks were to leave, now we have a building and land that's fully paid for, like banks can't take that away. There's no rate issues and uh, Dunkin' Donuts or somebody else, as long as you have a yeah. drive through we've learned to buy drive throughs If you're doing any quick service, buy a drive through they'll come in and, and take it over and, and Starbucks will still pay you for the 10 years that they, they will. I was getting ready to ask that question. So if Dunkin' Donuts came in, took over the, and they were paying you, Starbucks still has to pay you. Starbucks has to pay us unless we choose an alternate tenant. So oh. basically they're paying you for a building that's not in use. And so that's they unreal. often, yeah. And because when they commit to that triple net lease for you, they're committing to the lease, like you're, you're inevitably buying the lease, yeah. right? That's what you, you're. You told me that like, I live in Salina, Texas. You told yeah. me that you almost bought the Starbucks that we I go did. to all the time. 
Yes. And if Anthony's on here, he'll know that because he um, has been pushing me for Prosper and Salina. So what we do as well is because we have really great relationships now with developers and we're closers, they know that we're going to get to the finish line with them no matter what. They call us first. They're like, hey, Julie, Bo, do you guys want this Starbucks and Salina? Because maybe we bought the Starbucks for them. Like we just bought one in Guthrie, Oklahoma at the university there um, at the corner of the university. And so the, that university, you know, has other affiliates that are like, you know, oh, hey, she bought this one. And so the developers are calling us saying like, hey, do you want this Starbucks or do you want this um, kinder care, for example? You know, like we had the developers of kinder care called us last week and we're like, hey, we have this many coming up. Like, what do you want? You know, Um, and when you're talking about those larger like kinder care that are going IPO, things like that. Child care centers, people are like, oh, I don't want to invest in child care. Well, first of all, it's a necessity. It's recession proof. Also, I am pretty good at it. So if you're going to invest, I always do something else too that uh, other folks aren't able to do. I create a rofer on those um, institutionalized child care centers that if anything goes awry with operations, I have the option to take it over, which is a no brainer, right? I mean, so I just bought one in South Lake, Texas. The TLE, the new learning experience is a corporate center. But they have the option of either selling it to franchise down the road or maybe, you know, closing it. So I was like, oh, hell no. We're going to put a rofer in here. If this goes anywhere, it's going to me and my friends wow. and my child peeps. And we'll run this place and we'll just deal with that. Right. So. so uh, okay. So like. You... Wow. 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 Um, you are just brilliant. And, and I it just it's mind blowing to me. So, so tell me what you think, um, you know, there's a lot of entrepreneurs that watch this show or listen to it on the podcast networks, um, that, you know, they hear, I, I look I, from my opinion, I'm like, wow, how in the world did you go from babysitting as a kid to now you're looking at all of these Starbucks opportunities, everything else, right? All the stuff that you're doing. Like it's, it's mind boggling to me. Like, how did you get there? How did that happen? Like, and, 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 and the second part of that is what do you think holds people back from having financial freedom and real joy and happiness in life? What, what are, how's all that tied together for you? That's a huge loaded question, Ken. I I think we could probably have another show on this. So um, I'm going to try to be as brief and as concise as I can be. But there's just so much to this question, right? I know. Um, There's actually two questions. But hi, Sandy. Um, So I guess the first question was... What you, I'm ADHD. What was that first question again? What did You're, you say? That's a good question. Um, you don't even have to answer that one, honestly. I mean, you kind of told the story. How, I I got said, here? how, how yeah. do you go from babysitting as a kid to now you're buying Starbucks and you started yeah. on, I mean, you literally bootstrapped all of this to, to get to where you are. And it's unbelievable. So, um, insanity a little bit. I mean, I think all entrepreneurs have a little strand of insanity that it just separates us from the natural human population. I I truly believe that we have something different. We work differently. Our mind works differently. 
I can't even sleep, Ken, at night. People will be like, Julie, when do you sleep? I literally don't. Like I legit, my brain is, I don't take medication for ADHD. I probably need to or figure something out. Um, my brain does not stop. I have right. ideas after ideas after ideas after ideas. Like so many ideas. I don't, now I've, I'm better about bright and shiny objects and not jumping on all those ideas. And actually I have a program called Wealth Masters that we put in place for entrepreneurs that we coach and mentor uh, to try to help them stay in their lane, like look at the end goal, um, expand their businesses, exit, yeah. you know, strata, have an exit strategy in mind because we as entrepreneurs are so... Um, full of ideas, good and bad, but we just have a lot of ideas and we want to act on all of them, right? We think all of our ideas are great, um, but it, we have a hard time focusing. I think that when I was in that zone of creating and building my business, I was very much in the zone. I was 1000% committed to the end game. What I didn't know was that the end game was going to be this, right? I did know that it was going to be big, but my whole goal and purpose was impacting a thousand children. I wanted to have a thousand children impacted by my goal, which meant that they had quality early learning experiences. I did not have that. Um, I was with a single mom, you know, three jobs, whatever. I was in the basement of the church with the nuns, or I was with my grandparents, which that's a whole other thing. It was awesome to have that experience. Yeah. Um, but had I had Montessori when I was young, I would have had a way easier time in school. I would have not had the struggles I had in math because there's concrete learning, you know, yeah. materials, all the things anyway. So right, my right. goal at the beginning was an honest goal of, focusing to get to my thousand children served. Honestly, through that, I was receiving these other blessings through the adversity of business, right? Yeah. I would say to a new entrepreneur, stay the course, stop trying to do all the bright and shiny. There's so much bright and shiny. You know, you hear stories like this every day of amazing people, Alex Hermosi, like they're all over the internet. We're inundated by success stories. What we're not inundated by is the failures, the lessons, the challenges. Um, I feel like as an entrepreneur, it's my duty and our duty as entrepreneurs to be transparent and to yeah. be and to live with integrity and share the things that are not so glorious about entrepreneurship. Strategy is one of my top 10. And if Rosie Noel is watching this, it's in one of my top 10 Clifton strengths. Sometimes it's perceived as negativity. What I think it is, is transparency. So yeah. I'm very, very committed to being transparent in my journey and our family's journey in uh, the way that we raise our children, the way that we uh, create friendships. I feel like focusing on the goal, being transparent, keeping your eye um, on the pie or on the end game and knowing what is it that you want. I had a conversation with an entrepreneur this morning for an application process for Wealth Masters. And I said to him, what do you want? Like, I, I'm hearing a lot of things, but I don't think you know what you want. If you don't know what you want, how are you going to get there? I mean, it's literally mm. impossible as an entrepreneur if you don't know what you want, how are you going to get there? And I can't say that enough. I meet so many entrepreneurs and they're like, I want to do this. I want to do that. Okay, great. Where are we starting? <laughs> what is the end game? Like, what is it that you want out of this? You know, um, 
What is your why? And I know people say, well, that's so general, Julie, when you ask, what is your why? But I need to know that so I can put you in the right direction. Like, is family and generational wealth your goal? Or is it impact? Or is it like, where are you on this journey? And why are you on this journey? You know? I I, th- I think, though, that, that you know, I look, I, I hear what you're saying. And, um, and I totally agree. You have to know what you want something Bob Proctor. I listen to Bob Proctor every day of my life, just about. Um, and, and Brian, (laughs) yeah, right. Brian, Brian has become a friend of mine, which is incredible to be able to say his son. Um, but you know, I, I, I think about the people that, that, that don't know how to figure out what they want. And I've been there because I have all these different skills and I'm good at this. I'm good at that. And it's like, oh my God, I'm so good at all these different things. And I love all of them. How does one determine what it is that they want? Do you have an answer for that? So I don't know if I have the answer. I think there are certain things we can do. Like one, I journal every morning. Right. And whether that's on my phone, in my head, whatever, writing, what you write usually becomes your reality, honestly. So, you know, recurring themes is a good way to start your journey. Like, hey, I continually see this recurring theme in my writing, in my thinking, in my thought process, in my creativity process. Maybe I got something here. Right. Maybe this is really what's pulling me or what's calling me. Um, it is really hard to find out what you want to do, especially if you're young. I'm going through this with my son, Xavier, right now. He's, you know, second year, he's in college and, you know, we are like, at least do the business stuff safe, get the accounting, learn the basics for business because it's never going to hurt you. There's two things I tell my kids in life. You need financial literacy for success. So you need to know all the things, right? You need to be financially literate. literate, And two, you need to know how to sell. If you can sell, you will always have a living. It doesn't matter what the recession is. It doesn't matter what the world is. If you can tell your kids anything, I would tell them two things. Become financially literate, understand savings, investments, debts, managing credit, all that. And the second thing that I would tell any kid that asked me today, most teenagers that I talk to, I say, you need to learn to sell. Get your ass to grant, go wherever, learn the sales process, learn the close, learn how to confront objections in sales. Those are all lifelong skills that can never, ever harm you. Um, you're yeah. always going to have something to fall back on. And so this is what we're do- doing with Xavier. I mean, he's 19. He's been to Grant sales training workshops. He's done the 10X business boot camp. He is going, he's been to numerous growth cons with me. My littles were going to a financial conference um, with a billionaire boardroom here in two weeks. My two littles will take two days off school because whatever, they're going to go to California and spend two full days learning financial literacy. They're 12 and 14. It's never early enough, honestly. What you put into their minds, this is a huge, huge, huge dedication um, for us as parents to make sure that our kids are going to be in a better position than us and, and that we're just teaching them what we didn't know. And so um, the commitment to that is, is also something that's intentional, you know? Yeah. So the second part of my question earlier, and, and we, we, we should probably wrap this up yes. soon, but um, we're, we're over, but that's all right. I'm loving this. Um, and unless you need to go, tell them. No, say, I, I, go. I have, I only have you today. So. Okay. Good. Wow. Yeah. 
I reserved the whole day for you. Guys. Okay, well then we'll just stay on the whole day. I'm we'll kidding. just do Q and A twenty four hours. Who does that? Pace does that. Sometimes <laughs> yeah. He puts himself up on Saturdays, and people just can ask questions all day. I definitely want to do that one day, though. So we should. We yeah. Should um, but th- I so you know again, I know that um, we all what you know. I love Dr. Joe Dispenza and everything he Me talks too. about in speeches. Mm-hmm. Um, but. You know, and he talks about how we're always walking around in these stories that we're telling ourselves, the 60,000 thoughts a day, those stories and um, how, you know, half of them are, are not even true and 95 percent is, is autopilot and um, in our lives. And, and so what do you think? Um, what's your opinion of because I know you also work with entrepreneurs. What do you think is the biggest the, the biggest thing that's holding people back from having all of that what is it that stops them what's yeah what's so the, the i would say thing? there's a couple things but one thing limiting beliefs like you create all that shit in your head like your limiting beliefs come from insecurity imposter syndrome people that have said stuff to you people that have done stuff to you in your past all of that trauma is a collection in your mind, which yep. equi- basically equates to the limiting beliefs you live and breathe every day. Yep. If you can unpack all that crap and get it out, you won't have limiting beliefs. Do children have limiting beliefs? They think they can do everything. They think they can walk on water for God's sakes. And guess why yep. they have that? Because they have not been skewed with the reality, the noise, all the crap we have around us every day that limits the belief in ourselves. So the best thing we can do is unpack that, deal with yep. the trauma and move on. Again, look to the future. If we continually live in the past, whether it's even just in our head, that will limit your belief you will not think big or think bigger, which is now the way that we think. We're like, we think big or we think bigger. There's no thinking small. There is just not allowed in this house. So if you're thinking small, we need to unpack why that is. Who yep. made you who made you believe that you couldn't do that? Who said something mm. in your, you know, in your history or in your past to make you make you believe that? Or who did something to you that crushed your spirit? Whether it was a teacher, maybe it was a bypass, a, a friend, a comment a friend made about your lifestyle, whatever it is. We're, and and that's, not, that's not just something that happens once. We have to unpack this stuff all the time because yep. unfortunately, people that are doing less than you are the ones criticizing you. Amen. So if people are doing less than you, they're always going to criticize you because guess what? You're, you're a problem for them. You're a problem for them because they feel like they cannot ever get there. It is their problem, not yours. However, we as humans absorb this, right? Absorb the feedback as a problem with ourselves. We have to really be intentional and unpack the fact that this is not a us problem. That is a them problem. And that's where we have to leave it and move on. Yeah. Where, what's, I, I should have asked you this in the beginning. What's, what's your website that everybody can go follow you or find you? Yeah, we're just creating a new one, but it's um, www.thejulieroy.com. Pretty easy. Um, we used to have Julie. a bunch of other ones, but this is just, this is going to be it now. So just the, the Julie Roy, like T H E. Yeah. Thejulieroy.com. Julie That's yeah. easy. 
Yeah, I know. And because everyone's like, Grant told me, stop hiding behind the brand. Stop hiding behind the brand. Julie, you're the brand. Put yourself out there. It's Julie Roy. So I'm like, yeah. okay. So, and it's so easy because now when people meet me, they remember my name and then they have the web. It's all, it's it's so smart of him, right? And I think we had that conversation. Yeah, about he said the right? same thing to me. Right? Ken Walls. Yeah. yeah, I think that that's another thing that's a mm. lesson for entrepreneurs early on that I didn't learn early enough was stop hiding behind the business brand and just be you. And those people that will resonate with you will follow you. Yeah. And, and stop being afraid to invest in yourself. Yes. Even when you can't afford to do it anyway. Yeah. I, do it scared. I, I, huh? Do it scared, right? Do, do everything scared. scared. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I can, I, the very first time I got on the phone with one of Grant's salespeople, um, it was Todd Straw who now runs the oh, entire yeah. sales yeah. department. Todd was brand new back then. And, and he's hammering me on this $1,000 a month deal to get Cardone University, right? Mm -hmm. Sales training. And I was like, dude, that's $36,000 over three years. Are you serious? Like, are, no way, man. And I can just remember how small I was thinking yeah. back then. And, and, I, and, and now, like, I'm glad they closed me, quite frankly, because right. I and wouldn't be where I am. So a couple things about that lesson. One... If you're not investing in yourself, you're not growing. If you're not, you're learning, you're not growing, right? That's, That's number right. one. Number That's two, right. sometimes what you don't do is actually what hurts you. Yep. So that's another thing to think about as an entrepreneur. And yep. the last thing is I would have never thought that I would have spent $350,000 in mentorships. And I've made that 20 times over. That's right. You cannot spend enough money on self-development. The first thing Grant says is before you do anything in business, develop yourself. And I yep. 100 that I wish I would have known that sooner. Um, two things in life I wish I would have known sooner, real estate investing and investing in myself sooner, because we would have gone even further faster, you know, um, with the right people the right processes and the right financial mindset, you can really do anything. And, and those yeah. people in those groups, they know all the things guys, like they've done all the things we've learned this yeah. from other folks. This is not something, and from a lot of reading and studying, obviously, you know, I'm committed, you know, to continual growth. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, those are the things that I'd say do as quickly as you can. Julie Roy, you are a rock star. I am so, so grateful that um, I think it was Jedediah introduced us yeah. through Jenna. And um, wow, I'm so grateful to call you a friend now and, and to have had you on the show. There, there's some great things coming for you. I, I, I mean, I don't even think you've scratched the surface, quite frankly. I don't think you've scratched the surface. Everybody, go follow Julie. Is, is all your social media on your website? Yeah, it's all the Julie Roy. So it's Julie Roy on Facebook and the Julie Roy on Insta, Julie Roy on LinkedIn. So you can find me kind of everywhere now that I've rebranded and gotten smart about that. Um, I'm yeah. super grateful to McGenna, Jedediah, all our friends that are in all these circles that literally have helped us become who we are today. All the support, the mentorships. Um, 
yeah, I mean, we owe the world, honestly, to all of you. Um, we owe we owe our life and, and where we are today because of all yeah. of you. And opportunities like this, Ken, um, to be able to share our story and have greater impact. Um, thanks, Megana. I, I do. I truly love you guys. And I just want to help as many people as we can level up and um, create better, brighter futures for them as well. So thank you, Ken, for being a platform for us entrepreneurs to be able to do that. And it is so important to get the stories out there and get the reality, you know, of what this looks like. And um, thank you, again. <laughs> and yeah, and, and just create uh, those those friendships and opportunities um, because there is nothing honestly better in life than the relationships that we create and that we have around us. And so... They Amen. will make you or break you. Like Elena says, you know, people will either help you build your empire or they'll help you tear it down. Tear it so down. we have to make that choice. So amen to helping us build the empires and building them together. And all of us that are on the same track and all of us that have that same future goal, um, you know, to level ourselves, our friends, our family up. Um, let's just keep doing it together. And yeah, let's just be gracious and generous with our time and our knowledge and involve as many people and help as many people as we can. Amen. Amen, sister. I agree. So, Hey, listen, thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on and being so transparent, open and helping me helping my audience and everybody watching. If you have not shared this out, please go ahead and share it out and get this amazing woman's message out to as many people as we can. Thank you all. If you're in the U.S., happy Thanksgiving, and I hope you have a wonderful week. Um, and we will see everybody next week back here on Breakthrough Walls. But um, Julie, God bless you. Thank you for being here today. God bless you too, Ken. And again, so gracious and so appreciative that you had me on today. So thank you. Happy Thanksgiving to all my American folks, Canadians. You already had it last month, but happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> and happy uh, upcoming holidays to everyone. It's a busy, busy next six weeks here. So um, love you all. We'll see you all soon. Right. Love you thank guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.